The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Melodramatic Teen Universe. Sorry, I'm giggling because my guests are making eyes at me, and it's very distracting, but very enticing. So yeah, this is going to be a very short intro because I'm like uh, maybe about to get flashed. But yeah, welcome to the Melodramatic Teen Universe. I am your host, Emily Duke. We are the podcast that gives you all the salacious takes on shows that truly came out decades ago because truly, what the fuck else are we doing? Today is an incredible topic and some incredible guests. Before we get too deep into anything, I do want to bring them in. Our first guest is the incredible journalist. You have read him all across the interweb. So many bylines. The New Yorker, Rolling Stone. He writes about sport things, but also voting. And he's just like very good looking. And I just adore him. Please welcome the incredible Spencer Mestel. Hello. Hello. Did you enjoy that intro? Did I hit all your like peaks and valleys? Yeah, I'm going to have to make a correction, but I think it will come up in a bit. When we talk about who we're feeling, like what energy we're bringing to the podcast, but I don't want to skip ahead. I will let you be the host. I'm sorry already. Hello. Oh my God, Jesus. This is what happens when you bring in fucking journalists. Okay. Uh, so great. So this the press is here, y'all. Everybody fucking chill. I guess, real up top, do you have any context? We'll be talking about two shows primarily today. Those are Degrassi and One Tree Hill. Do you have any history with either of those shows? Did you watch either of them growing up? No, so I, I am a super fan of this show. I have listened to every episode. And really, uh, the only things that I know about either of these two shows comes only from this podcast. Perfect, perfect. So you know exactly what I know, because I know nothing over and above what comes out of my mouth here in these four walls. You have created me, and now I am the... I created the universe. That's actually, it's becoming very meta. I just watched the episode of Buffy where she's convinced She's in a psych ward and she's convinced that the entire show is in her imagination. And that's what I imagine is my life with all teen dramas. I'm right there. And that the best my imagination could do was create a world in which I got to watch a lot of TV. <laughs> that's my hallucination. Enough. All right. Well, let's get to our next guest because I'm sure she has a lot of hot takes. We love her. Mother of Mort. Tie-dye queen. Princess of plants. There's a plant behind you. I don't know. Everyone, please put your hands together for the incredible Brielle Milano. <laughs> Hi, everyone. How are you? That's yes, Spencer, put those hands together. <laughs> you two are sitting in a room together, which I feel like is important for the folks at home to know. I am embarrassed that you just outed the fact that we are indoors together. Um, but... You are, you're in a pod. Sure. Brielle, what is your history with Degrassi and One Tree Hill? Here's what I have to say. One Tree Hill <laughs> never my cup of tea. I never have been interested in like a blonde man. So I just didn't get the whole Chad Michael Murray thing like ever. Especially when he's on every show in the universe. But he was besides, never, I guess, the ones you watch. Yeah. And he was not like the main course. Like he was maybe like an amuse bouche or something, you know? Like he was. Yeah. Yeah. He was like the Tristan. Sure. But really what was deeply upsetting about my first experience with One Tree Hill wasn't the school shooter, but was his flavor saver. Didn't know he had that. It was distracting, in fact. Oh, the what? The, like, patch of little tiny shaved pubes under his lip. Oh. It was gross. Like a Yoko Ono. Chad Michael Murray is not the school shooters. Not the school shooters. Just to be clear, if yeah. you haven't seen the episode, she's not mocking the school shooter's pubic hair on his face. No, I wouldn't mock somebody who kills people because they're mocked. 
Um, but <laughs> he actually doesn't kill anybody. Right. But spoiler alert: tomato, tomato, <laughs> tomato, tomato. We'll get into it. Okay. So, One Tree Hill, not your cup of tea. Glossy, like I don't know another way to put it besides like there was an episode which was about Manny and Craig's pregnancy in which Manny had to get an abortion. This episode was not um, broadcast in the States. So I downloaded it on LimeWire because (laughs) (laughs) Because you're so pro-choice. Of course, but also because (laughs) Because you were on LimeWire, LimeWire just like looking for like abortion drama. (laughs) Because I was such a dedicated fan that missing any episode. No, I'm going to say that it's you found Degrassi because you were on LimeWire looking for tales of abortion, like podcasts about abortion. If you want to spin that like web of lies, go for it. The real truth is I love Degrassi. So like Craig Manning was, I don't even know how to verbalize my crush on that gentleman. He was like, <laughs> he, like I know all the words. I know the lyrics to the songs that he played on the show. Wow. Like I can, like I would wow. have him download it onto my iPod. And like, I okay, watched great. it all live. I feel like we should set some ground rules, which is we don't talk about growing up in New York City, though I know it's going to happen. Oh, we certainly will. All right. Well, Brielle, let's get into it. Which character in the MTU are you feeling like today? Well, since Spencer said it, let's talk about growing up in New York City. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's. Let us, let us choose a character from Gossip Girl. So I was actually, as as also- One of your core competencies, we do have to establish up top, your core competencies in the universe are Gossip Girl and Degrassi. And the OC, but yes. And the OC, okay. Let's, let's be free. But I would give you like a bronze medal. Like I would put like Degrassi gold, Gossip Girl silver, the OC bronze. Sure. You're the host. You're in charge. (laughs) Um, But I was thinking about this earlier today because I wanted to come prepared. And I was like, ooh, I think Blair. But I was like, but really, I just kind of want to be Blair because... You just think very highly of yourself. Yes. But also, (laughs) she loves Chuck. And obviously, and I was like, why don't I just like choose Chuck? Because like... Because you're not a rapist. Okay, I think that's also on the MTU being award. It's just like we need to erase that part of his character. Like it was a flaw in the writer's room or like Cecily, whatever. I think that was in the books actually also. Cecily. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. So like rude of her to do that character assassination to our dear Chuck. But so maybe, maybe both of them as one. I just, I love their energy. They're really loyal but they're Leos. Fuck you up if you come for them. They're full, like, Leo, like, Sun and Leo, Moon and Scorpio. Like, they are bringing all of that energy, and that is what I bring to the table as well. Yeah, you're just, like, deeply loyal, but also, like, will truly eat Georgina Sparks for breakfast if the time so calls for it. Yeah, so... Okay, is that how you feel, like, all the time or just today? Did something particularly empowering or, like, something that particularly pissed you off happen today? No, I... I I just love their energy at all times. They just are always bringing their A-game, and I really appreciate their strange soft spots, like Chuck and Monkey, or like Blair and Dorota. Like, I just love these little things that they have going on. Spencer has a big emotional boner for Dorota, clearly. Yeah. I, yes. (laughs) Do you want to expand on that? Well, I'm also happy because, as you know, I made you an MTU bingo card. And I think Center Square is mentioning that Chuck Bass is a rapist. So I'm glad we just <laughs> hit that right out the gate. And growing up yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talking about growing up in New York. 
Yeah, yeah. That's not the center square, but it's on there. So, Spencer, who are you feeling like today or in general? So, I've thought about this ever since I heard the first episode, and I'm going to actually tell you who I hope that I... You're really making a girl feel emboldened and narcissistic about her podcast. And let me just say, I appreciate it as a (laughs) city child. Uh, so the person who I hope that I am not like, but I fear that I am like, is also from Gossip Girl, and you can probably guess who it is. Ugh, Dan Humphrey, you fucking journalist. Of course it is Dan Humphrey. And so- but he's such a fiction writer. I feel like the fact that he writes fiction is so integral okay, to so it. But I guess he writes that New Yorker article about, like, the Upper East Side, and he's like, it's fiction, but it's not. Oh, so I was gonna say, my boyfriend and I are re-watching Gossip Girl, and re-watched last night the episode where his friend enters his story into the New Yorker's story contest and it gets published. And so I am a less successful Dan Humphrey. That's where I feel like I am cosmically right now. And it doesn't feel great at all. So what were you going to correct me on in my intro? Just that you're a good journalist? Well, you said I had a byline in the New Yorker and that is... It's incorrect. It's only the Atlantic. It's only the Atlantic. (laughs) So I'm going to try not to be fucking insufferable, but that might just be who I am. So this might be how you get your byline in the New Yorker. I also think just being on the podcast with me and Brielle counts as a byline in the New Yorker because we're such New Yorkers. You know what I mean? Love it. Yeah, that'll go on the bingo card for sure. (laughs) All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about, as we have alluded to and or maybe outwardly just said, the seminal school shooting episodes of the MTU. There are a couple across the universe, but there are two tentpole ones that I think come up pretty often in discussion. And those are, of course, the very famous Degrassi episode, Time Stands Still, which came out October 2004 uh, and centers around the character of Rick Murray and the episode of One Tree Hill, which came out in 2006. I believe it was early March uh, and it focuses on Jimmy Edwards. So we'll be focusing on there. Let's start. I would argue let's start chronologically and start with Degrassi if everybody's comfortable with that. So comfortable. So comfortable. Okay. So I have like a pre-written out description of the summary of the episode or unless, Brielle, you want to just take this and give us like your (laughs) quick sum up. So here is, I just, for the fans out there, the reason that Emily is uh, paying such deference to Degrassi is on Emily's first Degrassi episode, I essentially reached out with a whole list of complaints about the... (laughs) Oversights. Oversights is a soft word. I would say giant (laughs) holes in your knowledge bank of Degrassi. And I found it to be insulting. And I needed to correct many things. Like, everyone was like, everyone on the show was like, why does this, you know, young 30-something have a 15-year-old daughter? It's like, well uninformed speakers <laughs> <laughs> because on the older Degra- okay. the first Degrassi came out in the 80s so the first first Degrassi actually came out in the late 70s which is like little known fact it was just called like kids of Degrassi street it was literally about I'm gonna like start a timer when we do this <laughs> just so that you know for the purposes of the podcast why don't let's just like well, 30 seconds forward, then there's a, a junior high Degrassi junior high Degrassi high that was all in the 80s and one of the main characters on Degrassi Junior High actually got pregnant when she was like 13, has a baby. They're thinking, then comes like, you know, the early aughts and the producers are thinking about doing a reunion show. And then they were like, oh, well, like, actually, this baby that was born on our show and was a baby on our show for years 
she should be about like 12 or 13 now. Why don't we just build out a whole new... Why don't we just make her an insufferably dumb blonde girl? Sorry. She's actually very smart and cares about the environment, so... God, I'm sorry. My bad. That's a gaping hole in my knowledge. (laughs) Just because one online predator tricked her. It's like not... (laughs) In the pilot. It's just, it's quite a way to set up a child. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's quite the setup. All right. So in the episode, I mean, Brielle, do you want to tell us like, and just the summary of the plot point of the episode? Or do you want to hear from what the the IMDB user skills with a quill gave this description? And I like to think that it's the character skills from One Tree Hill, who's a huge fan of Degrassi when he's not (laughs) calling school shooters dog every other sentence. I think that he's writing IMDB descriptions. (laughs) That's what I think. So he says, all right, it's part one and part two. Part one, Rick makes friends with Emma and Toby when he steps in as a replacement on the school's quiz show. Things take a turn for the worse when Jay, Spinner, and Alex pull a nasty prank on Rick that embarrasses him in front of the entire school. His vindictive side comes out, leading him to develop a horrible plan for revenge. Fade to black, on to part two. Humiliated and furious, Rick returns to Degrassi with a handgun in his backpack and prepares to take revenge on the students of Degrassi for laughing at him. I do want to take a pause here to just include that he is humiliated by being covered in paint and feathers, and he does return to school still covered in paint and feathers. So just like for the visual. On TV, Jimmy, on TV, right? Yes, on TV. Jimmy sympathizes with Rick and promises to back him up whenever other students harass him. Rick accuses Jimmy of being part of the prank and shoots Jimmy in the back when he tries to run away. Rick then moves on to the next person on his hit list, Emma. So again, thank you, Skills with a Quill. But again, I think that this, this description is lacking in a couple of key, key, key details. I want to focus on the second half there because I think that's really like the core here of what's going on. Before we get to that, may I say, Rick's vindictive side comes out as a very odd way to describe a school shooting. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not like Rick can be rude sometimes when he's hungry. It's like... He's really cranky sometimes. So, I mean, I think that's a perfect entree to talk a little bit about Rick's backstory here. So Rick is, and I did remember this, despite my quote-unquote gaping holes in knowledge, which like... (laughs) Can we just, like, not put the word gaping on the bingo card? Because, like, that will not give me joy. I will say, I do remember that Rick is a straight-up abusive boyfriend. Like, a straight-up abuser? Physical, emotional, mental, like... Physical, emotional, mental, and literally puts his girlfriend in a coma. What? Yeah, he puts his girlfriend in a coma. I mean, stage left for that character. Like, that character never came back. They did wake up from, her name was Terry. She did wake up from the coma, but she was written off the show. And so it was Rick for a while. And then Rick comes back to Degrassi. And that's why. And is bullied. So badly. Because they're like, you put our best friend. You put our friend in a coma. That's why they bully Rick. That's the knowledge that we're dropping. So that is obviously intentional. Can we at least, his shit with that blonde girl who is. Emma. Paige. Emma, who the one who's on the trivia team. Yeah. Emma. She, she is so nice to him, and he is such a fuckboy to her, but I... I don't, I don't think you're using that word correctly. I would agree with <laughs> Like, Chuck Bass is a fuckboy. School shooters aren't fuckboys. Yeah, he but, was aggressive in, like, shaming her for not wanting to reciprocate him. Right, and my question is, like, is that... Are we supposed to think that, or are we supposed to think that he is wrong because she's leading him on no he's like an incel like he's 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 like truly and it's like he i think this is the big difference and we'll get into one tree hill but this is the big difference between the way degrassi handles it and the way one tree hill happens handles it and i think it is because one tree hill came out two years later but rick is fully a villain rick is a villain 
going into it, Rick. Like, I kind of hate Jimmy for defending him in any, like, being like, he's not that bad. I'm like, no, he, like, literally put one of your friends in a coma. Like, he's a really shitty dude. And, like, first strike, like, that was a buildup of many things. Like, it started with, like, little subtle things, like, to Carrie backstory. She was, like, a little bit, she, like, was a plus size model. She was, like, the one, like, we're going to have, like, some body positivity on this show. Body and- diversity. I would not call it positivity by any means. She was, a, she was, like, a model, and she was also, like, friends with all, like, the hot girls and part of, like, the popular crew, and they were, like, always, like, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. And she's, um, like, a size Yeah, boy. I mean, it was body positivity as body positivity existed in 2004. It yeah. wasn't super progressive in its fat activism. So she um, would, like, go out, like, with friends for food, and she, like, ordered a burger, and he'd be, like, like, hon, maybe try the salad. Like, it'll make you feel better. So, like, it started with these kind of, like, microaggressions and then, like, built up to, like, like him shoving her to the ground. It, they did it well, it was, honestly. I mean, it was really bad. But he was, like, a full, full, full-blown incel. Um, I do want to say, okay, so he's played by Ephraim Ellis. We know that he abused Harriet over the course of the show. And... I mean, here's my question is, do you think that the role is well acted, Brielle in general across the show and Spencer in this episode? I actually do think it was well acted. And so some some other backstory on DeCrossi for those who are still unclear about my royalty <laughs> and obsession. 30 seconds. The, the backstory is- We're a- at Whack-A-Brain or whatever the fuck. You have 30 seconds. Most, most of the people, most of the- quote unquote actors on Degrassi, especially the original ones, are just like normal kids that were kind of like picked up because it was on CTV, which is like the Canadian version. It, it was like Canadian public access television at first. So PBS. Th- yeah. So they would just like choose non-actors. So I think even in the new updated Degrassi, a lot of these kids were just like normal kids. So they didn't necessarily have like a, you know, arts background. So with all of that in mind, also, I thought, I thought he did a really good job. And there are definitely people on that show who are not great actors, but also backs like Emma, for instance. Yeah, Emma's not a great actor, but they waited. They wanted to do a school shooting episode earlier, but they didn't think the actors were strong enough yet, and so they oh, waited until God. that season because they finally felt like they had like established a certain set. Of, a, a, they were like, "Drake, you're ready to go. Like, let's do it." So- <laughs> Drake, starting. Well, okay, so we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Drake of it all. So this is, of course, I would say like a famous episode, largely because this is the episode that Jimmy is paralyzed. Like Drake's character is paralyzed and like i truly watched an instagram video two days ago of lil wayne talking about drake on degrassi like that shit has staying power like it's just very important jimmy's character initially is bullying rick which like okay maybe don't like actively bully that's not a great idea but like cool you don't have to become bros with this guy who abused your friends and is like horrible to women like at any it happens so quickly so having yeah. no context, I was like, oh, you were pretty mean to this kid five minutes ago. And like, by nature of being on the same trivia team, you know, five minutes in, you guys are bros now. And, you know, they had that like sexy trivia montage. And I was, I was not sold by it. But I feel like that would have tracked for me if I didn't know Rick's backstory. Like if I truly just saw that episode, like on its own and was like, Jimmy's just a bully and Jimmy's softened up. Right. Like to this kid who he basically hated for no other reason than being a loser. You know what I mean? Like that I could kind of get on board with. But I was like, you're treating this episode as a bottle episode where like Rick is a loser and Jimmy is a bully. And then like Jimmy becomes really sweet and kind and understanding. And I'm like, that's not the dynamics are so much more complicated than that. Yeah, I agree. 
and also it's tough because you know we see Jimmy bullying him with his friend at the beginning, but then we also see Jimmy bullying him in the hallway by himself. So it's not like this is just something you do with your friends to look cool. Like you seem to- It's like, no, you really fucking hate this kid. <laughs> you hate him and like hearing all of this, like you have very good reason to hate him. And again, the trivia shit, it's like, there's nothing there that explains why you would come around on him so quickly. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. And I just found it like pretty disappointing in like the character of Jimmy to be like, fuck it. And then of course, Jimmy gets like defends Rick to his other cool popular friends and the other cool popular friends see that Rick has come back to school, see his shoes in the bathroom and decide to loudly talk about the fact that Jimmy coordinated this whole prank that involved the dumping of paint and feathers on him at the end of the quiz ball. And that is basically why Jimmy becomes a target. This whole episode is built on the fact that Rick is being incredibly targeted and specific, which again is a very different angle than One Tree Hill goes in. One Tree Hill goes in is basically like, this is completely random and this kid just fucking hates everybody. Like, yeah, he speaks more specifically to some, but he's not going in with a gun looking for any specific people really, besides like a guy who punched him, but then he just kind of moves on. Whereas Degrassi, it is fully like, he came to shoot Jimmy and Emma. Like, that's his plan. Do you think one of them is more or less realistic? I mean, I don't want to purport to be an authority on school shootings and, like, psychology behind them. My understanding and my limited knowledge is that it's more random generally, or that it expands to more randomness, especially in, like, larger school shootings. But again, we have to remember, these are school shooting episodes, quote unquote, but nobody dies in either of them. And there are very few shots fired. I mean... Rick dies, which is yeah, usually yes. what happens, right? Yes. Like the shooter dies. So. Besides the shooter, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, also, we have to also remember that this show takes place in Canada. So it was really shocking that anybody was shot because they don't have guns there. So a, a lot of this was kind of a like tipping the hat to their American audience and the fact that there is a large American audience and everyone gets shot here. So like, <laughs> it, it was interesting, honestly, that they even did one. But I also think that, I mean, again, also... I am not an expert in school shootings, but I do think the kind of nature or like things have evolved a lot, right? Like Columbine happened in 98 or 99. This episode came out only like four years later. And that was very much, Columbine was like very much a, the people- Bowling for Columbine came out in 2001, I think, the movie, right? Like it came out pretty shortly thereafter. Because I think Degrassi, when when you said that they wanted to do one earlier, my guess is they wanted to do one following the success of Bowling for Columbine. And then it actually came out in 04. I just think that with the context of Columbine versus a little bit later, when maybe school shootings just became like a little more normalized, and maybe they weren't even as normal back when the One Tree Hill episode happened. But now I feel like the conversation around school shootings and why kids do it is completely completely different than it was. Well, people have much more of a care for the mental health. And I think a lot of these kinds of media are why that happened, right? Like, obviously, like, I'm not saying One Tree Hill, like, helped with gun violence, but I'm saying, like, I mean, maybe it did. Who knows? But, like, I will say that the public perception of, like, good and evil very much changed from the late 90s with more of an understanding and more of an open-mindedness towards mental health problems and, like, the reasons why kid might be propelled to behave this way as opposed to just like that kid's evil and our kids are good you know like both of these shows were kind of like or i mean degrassi specifically right toby has this whole crisis of conscience where he's like he's my friend or like do i go to his funeral how do i face his mother like 
they were trying to show this more nuanced thing of like who pushed him to this point and what was this I would say I know you didn't watch the rest of One Tree Hill but Toby is very similar to the character of Mouth in One Tree Hill who Mouth actually goes on to like found a scholarship in honor of Keith and Jimmy and like is convinces everybody to go to Jimmy's funeral even when they think he killed Keith he's really close with her mom he like brings his mom a yearbook like he is unparalleled throughout the entire thing like Jimmy is a victim Jimmy is a victim Jimmy is a victim and like even when the full-on perception is that he killed Keith which like it maintains to be for like a season and a half like we don't get the reveal for a while that Dan is the one that killed Keith Rick though I think, you know, we're saying that perhaps the show goes too much out of its way for us to empathize with him, right? Because we see him at home and there's that really heartbreaking scene where his mom is dressing him in the suit and his friend comes in and she's like, oh, you know, it's so great that all of you are friends now. And he's like, what? Like, what? We're friends with them? Yeah, yeah. Like, we're all good friends, right? And you see him through his mom's eyes and it's so sad. Well, I would say similarly with One Tree Hill, you have Jimmy's mom, like, looking for him. I would say, again, with Jimmy, I feel like it, I I empathized with Emmy, Jimmy in a way that I didn't empathize with Rick. And I don't know how much of my perception of that is based on the knowledge that I have on both characters from before this episode. So I guess, Spencer, I'm curious about not having seen either of these shows. Did one seem more sympathetic to you? I think it goes back to Brielle's question. And I'm glad I didn't have to bring up Columbine. But right the As the journalist. You're welcome. What we learned or what was so prominent after Columbine was the list, right? It's like they made a list of all these kids. And I think their original plan, most of my knowledge comes from You're Wrong About That podcast, but their original plan was to set explosive in the cafeteria. And so they were going to set those off and then they were going to sniper kids like from the woods outside as they ran out. And so my impression at least was that that list was I'm sure they made a list, but like their goal was to just fuck up that school as much as yeah. possible and not target specific kids. And I think when it seems so, like Brielle was saying, targeted and personal, that makes it harder for us to empathize. Like we can understand this like general feeling that- General rage. General rage, yeah. like the school you go to is hostile to you or like completely ignores you. Well, also, I think I don't watch it. Brielle, you might. 13 Reasons Why. Like the whole premise of 13 Reasons Why is like that a girl commits suicide and like basically mails out. Not 13 Reasons Why. Is that the right one? Where she mails out like the letters or videos of like why she killed herself to all these different people. Yeah, yeah. I I, I take offense to the fact that you still think I'm a teen watching uh, <laughs> new teen dramas. But no, I do not watch. I mean, that. you watch Riverdale? No, I don't. Oh, well, I do. So don't be a dick about it. Uh, So, but yeah, I mean, I think that list mentality is like, I am, I am so in chaos and we want people to know that these are the people at fault, not the people that are necessarily going to die as a direct retribution. Like it's not a direct tit for tat. It's like chaos is being sown because of the actions of these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you see that a lot with Jimmy when he like answers the phones of everyone and is like, open your eyes, open your eyes, open your eyes. I'm talking a lot about One Tree Hell when we, like, haven't really brought it up. It's because you have gaping hole of knowledge for Degrassi, and so you just... Yeah, yeah, it's because of my gaping hole. Okay, let's focus on Degrassi. I mean, is there any other key elements to Degrassi? And then we can dive into One Tree Hill specifically and what happens, and then we can sort of compare and contrast a little bit more. But is there anything else in Degrassi specifically that you want to bring up? So I think what's a really important part, and this well, there's a lot of this in One Tree Hill also, and I think in real life, and it's something I really cannot relate to, but there are these like hero kids who are like, 
I have no weapons and I'm just going to say. Well, yeah. Why don't you explain what happened? So we know we've established on the podcast that Rick shoots Jimmy in the back. Jimmy falls, is paralyzed. That's the outcome. Drake is now in a wheelchair moving forward because Rick thinks that Jimmy is the person who pranked him. Prince's his basketball career, which like was taking off. I don't know how big like the- <laughs> He was going to be the a partial owner of the Toronto Raptors, which thankfully Drake was able to still do. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, he shoots Jimmy in the back because he thinks that Jimmy is responsible for this prank, this televised tar and feathering. And then he goes to find Emma. So, Brielle, well, Spencer, why don't you tell us what happens when he goes to find Emma? Wait, can I say something right before that? Sorry. You're such a journalist. So like this, I'm liking that I'm making journalists like I hate work. It's like, wait, wait, we're, we're in an interview right now. I have my glasses. I put on my glasses to this podcast. Yeah, you've name dropped two podcasts already. Yeah. Great. This is who I am. So <laughs> this happens in One Tree Hill too, but in Degrassi too, there are moments where kids are just so fucking smart. And with it, like when those bullies are in the bathroom. And- that doesn't happen on Scream, the MTV series, which no, is I mean, me and Spencer's favorite teen drama. Kiki Palmer is always like thinking five steps ahead. Brilliant. But she's also like 30. So, <laughs> so yeah, when they see Rick's feet in the bathroom, and then immediately the kid is like, oh, yeah, it's so fucked up how Jimmy made this whole prank, right? Like, you did such a great job. Like, just the quick thinking from him is brilliant. Especially considering you're talking about Jay, and Jay is, like, total fucking loser, <laughs> who is really dumb, normally. Uh, like, and a few episodes later, gives Emma gonorrhea because she can't, <laughs> she can't cope. She can't cope with her near-death experience, so she decides to get a little bit wild and go to the ravine. Yeah, she goes to the ravine and then later she falls in love with Sean who saved her and they have to tell him and he goes to jail. It's a whole fucking thing. Wait, yeah, I just, I let me also point out. <laughs> <laughs> like, back to my notes. Well, hold on, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, this bully, he also says as they are prepping for this prank in the bathroom, he says the best part of being student council vice president is no one asks questions. The boyfriend, though. Yeah, he, his girlfriend is Alex. Oh, yeah, his girlfriend, so that she can orchestrate this prank involving the falling of paint, like the Carrie style. First of all, only in Canada is there crazy prank, like dropping just paint. Like, it's like not like it's and feathers, yeah, and feathers, but like it's not pig's blood, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not pig's blood. And then, yeah, he's like, my girlfriend will do it and set the whole thing up because nobody will ask questions because she's, I thought she was vice president of the student council. Yeah, yeah, vice, vice president. So, yeah. Did the vice president of your student council not get to do whatever they wanted? No, I was the vice president. Was yes, that's why we were. Oh, and that's why you're fucking <laughs> like this. <laughs> that's why you're treating this podcast like fucking whack-a-brain and just like showing up, setting up paint and feathers for I'm us. Dan Humphreying all over this bitch. Dan Humphrey was so vice president of student council if he grew up anywhere outside of New York City. <laughs> Wait, did that not exist? No, Brielle's saying she was. I was the president. She was the president. No, I'm just saying Dan Humphrey was a fucking loser in New York, but, you know, in the suburbs, he may have made it to be vice president. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Uh, you asked me a question, what happens when he gets to Emma? Wait, no, we're talking about the student council vice president. Why, what were your notes on that? My, my notes is just, what, like, what, isn't awesome, that crazy? what awesome power what they power? must have in Canada. Like that position is clearly more than just ceremonial as it is here in the United <laughs> but States. But actually, you know? I have in my notes from the One Tree Hill episode, because they only took notes on that. <laughs> in the One Tree Hill episode, there was this, rep- oh, another, uh, a theme between the two episodes is 
asshole reporters, which would never happen in. Oh, I want to talk about that extensively yeah. in One Tree Hill. I've got so, a lot to say. <laughs> so, one, so the reporter in One Tree Hill is like, who? No, no, no. Focus on the Degrassi because we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. Okay. Back to on shop. The big, the continuity that we're trying to point out is we have both a very powerful student council vice president and a very powerful student council president. The difference, of course, being that the student council president is very kind and loving and we love Brooke Davis, whereas the student council vice president is a little shit for birds. Okay, fair. Okay, so wait. So Spencer, what happens now? Get to the original question, which is what happens when Rick finds Emma? Wow. Did you forget? Do you need your notes? I, so I'm nervous that I'm confusing the two, but he points the gun at her and then Emma's with a friend. Sean. With Sean. With her ex-boy. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't know that. Her ex-boyfriend. Who, like, they had a deep connection. Yeah, Emma, they're, like, like, really in love. It's like a Joey Pacey thing where, like, Emma's the nerd and, like, Sean's the fuck up. And she's like, no, but I believe in you. Oh, yeah. wow. So he points the gun at her and Sean confronts him. And then they did something that... If I had seen this when it came out, I would have been like, holy shit, this is like an incredible cinematic device because they get in a tussle, right? And you hear the gunshot in both of their faces. They like gasp and you're like, well, what happened? Who got shot? And we don't know for like a while, right? We don't know until the next episode? No, because there's this idiotic real estate plot line that, oh we my God. Have, that we need to like... I like truly, I'm ignoring the subplot. Like why, why did they have a real estate subplot happening? I think, honestly, the real estate subplot was really to get Craig, number one true love, back to the scene of the crime because he was like not at school, then he goes to school and his, his plot line is that by the end of the season, he's diagnosed with bipolar disorder and a lot of it was triggered by this extreme experience of seeing his best friend get shot in front of him. Okay. I think that had to do with the B-plot. Okay. I still think we probably could have explained that away without the very many scenes we see of real estate offices, but like, sure. As a person who enjoys real estate, I didn't hate it. (laughs) Those episodes are the reason that you're in real estate now. (laughs) Like, Brielle, why do you want to work in real estate? Well, I don't know if you've seen the B-plot of the shooting (laughs) episode of Degrassi, but it really empowered me and emboldened me to make some life choices. And that's where she learned to negotiate because she's like, well, the listing price is $375 and the woman's like, $350 and she's like, sold. (laughs) (laughs) That is lifted exact dialogue from the school shooting episode of Degrassi <laughs> is what's the price 375 how about 350 sounds 25 below asking well <laughs> and the the reveal was that it was actually 25 above what it was worth or what he paid the I real know. reveal is like never think it would be okay to buy your partner's home for them to support them <laughs> without telling them they're too poor to support their own kids Without. Well, also, I will say, <laughs> what the fuck was her plan? So basically, this guy's girlfriend secretly buys his house because he needs money. And then, friend. <laughs> okay, but then doesn't tell him or plan on telling him, but he, brilliant man he is, surmises it <laughs> and is like, hey, enjoy your house, bitch. And it's like, truly, like, what it, like... Were you ever planning on, te- or were you just going to be like, I guess let's keep it on the market and just te- secretly telling the ex-girlfriend, like, don't tell him that it. But they needed to have this. No, they didn't. You're defending. <laughs> I think you're sp- no, no, no. You're defending Degrassi too much now. They needed to have. And then they were like, oh, but how can we make them make up? Oh, a school shooting. Right. Perfect. Let's bring it back together because they all. So the school shooting is actually like 
a device to sort out this real estate issue. <laughs> yeah. So the writer's room first wrote the real estate part, <laughs> and then we're like, okay, how how are we going to get these two back together? Pickle. How can we get out of this pickle if right you now? you guys understood that Joey Jeremiah and Caitlin were high school sweethearts, and they're just like trying to get back together in their 30s with kids and careers, and it's so hard, and real estate, and how do we explain that away? Obviously, just kill a kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to get to One Tree Hill. But again, we will continue. Degrassi will continue to come up. No, but we uh, do have to talk about Sean because I think it's the, the hero. Oh, yeah. Me. The wrestling. So we don't know what happened, but Sean killed Rick so is Sean what happened. Stepped in, stepped to save his girl, his, this person that he cares deeply about. And I don't know if you guys watched the follow-up episode, but like there's a lot of his ability or inability to cope and not be able to take it seriously because he's so terrified by his own actions and kind of like it seems like maybe had like an emotional blackout during the stepping up to save her kind of thing which he did like very calmly like I was like I will say his behavior towards Rick like he's very calm he's very cautious and Keith Scott at the end of One Tree Hill I'm like Keith Scott is a fucking mechanic in North Carolina when did he become a crisis negotiator like (laughs) what the fuck is going on here Notes was is he a hostage negotiator? <laughs> I never watched the show, and I was like, why would they let this random dude into the school to talk? He's truly like a mechanic who's about to be murdered by his brother. So we're it's getting fine. ahead of ourselves. I, wait, okay, I so want... you want to pay more homage to Sean because you're obsessed with Degrassi. One, I think Sean has nice arms. I don't know if that's weird to say. Sean gets a lot hotter later. Whoa! Don't tell me that. I mean, I would hope that you would think that because Sean is like fully a child in this episode. I... That's why I'm... I will also say, like, watching them side by side, I'm like, oh, Degrassi, like, these are children. And, like, in One Tree Hill, I'm like, these are full grown-ass people. (laughs) It was just... I just saw Nate Archibald from Gossip Girl without a shirt. And that... Chase Crawford. Did not look like a child in the way that Sean did, which made me feel weird about it. Yeah, they choose real children, not actors. Yes, yes, we get it. Yeah. They're truly amazing, and they invented the real estate market. <laughs> yeah. So Sean's- I'm like the Emma of this podcast. <laughs> it's disheartening. You're like, it's really going to be okay, guys, and I just think it's great. <laughs> okay, let's get to One Tree Hill. Okay, the One Tree Hill episode. Uh, so let's do the quick summary, which is basically a dangerous day at Tree Hill High gives Nathan and Lucas a common goal as they put their lives on the line to save their friends when a distraught student, Jimmy Edwards, comes to school with a gun and holds Haley and others hostage. The episode is called With Tired Eyes, Tired Minds, Tired Souls. We slept. Uh, It was in the third season, uh, written by Mark Schwain, and came out in 2006. Little known trivia, Hilary Burton has said that when the actors got asked to do the episode, none of them wanted to do it. They got the script and were, like, really upset and were like, we can't bring this up. Like, this is a terrible, terrible idea. But then... There were two more incidents like that week and she was like, okay, then we really got on board. So like, thank you, Hillary Burton. The episode, I will say, I have spoken about extensively because I think it does an incredible job of basically, like, they weren't just doing this to be like, we have a school shooting episode. Like, it does actually create probably the biggest plot point of the show maybe ever, which is that Dan Scott murdered his brother. Like, that is truly the biggest thing that happens arguably that's like most impactful long term over the whole series can you explain why don't i give let let me neither of you have seen it before right he what i deduced and so this could be completely off base so it might be fun for you but the guy in the suit is the brother of the guy who's the hostage negotiator 
but also who's actually a mechanic he's also the he is the baby daddy of both of the basketball players yes now his brother is sleeping with his ex-girlfriend yes actually you pretty much nailed that yeah uh so basically lucas and nathan are best friends nathan is married to lucas or no they're not best friends they're brothers they're half brothers they share a dad they didn't speak at the beginning but then they both played basketball so they had to become close nathan falls in love with lucas's best friend named Haley, even though she's a nerd and he's a fuck up and they get married like 20 episodes into the first season at 16 years old because why the fuck not i have a lot of questions about like why these teenagers like None of them lived with their parents, seemingly. The married <laughs> ones, the unmarried ones. Where did you get this money? Like, I didn't understand it. Well, Brooke's, like, parents are never around. Brooke, like, has very rich parents that are basically, like, constantly, like, flitting about and just, like, leave. And then, like, she briefly lives with Peyton, but she basically just lives by herself. And then her family loses all their money. She can't be tied down. Yeah, she has a lot to do. And she said she was asleep in her car outside of her boyfriend's house, so I did not get the impression that there was money involved. I thought she was all, like... <laughs> Maybe had like house. Oh no, she does adopt a homeless girl in like season seven. But yeah, I th- that's because she's so upset that she's childless at twenty two. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yes. Me I too. Putting faces to names now from all the other episodes of this podcast I've listened to. Okay. So okay, for a little bit of context, we have our main key players are. Let's start with Nathan and Lucas. So they're brothers, and they have the same biological father, whose name is Dan. Dan's brother is named Keith who is a mechanic and moonlights as a hostage negotiator for the purposes of this episode. (laughs) Keith is dating Karen, who is the mother of Lucas, but Dan is still in love with Karen because since Lucas and Karen have gotten back into his life, he's realized what a fuck up he made because he hates his new wife, Deb, who is Nathan's mom. And so he's like, I fucked up and I should have been with Karen and I should have raised Lucas and Lucas is such a great kid. And he's feeling a lot of guilt and regret about that and trying to get back in their life. And so he becomes mayor and he gets really fucking jealous of his brother, who is now dating his high school girlfriend slash the mother of one of his sons. So basically, those are the those are the key like blood related family members, Nathan and Lucas. Nathan dated Peyton, the blonde girl, Hillary Burton, in season one before he fell in love with Haley. Lucas never dated Haley, but he was best friends with her, cares about her very deeply. So basically, Chad Michael Murray has been oscillating between the blonde and the brunette women for the whole series, basically. At the time of the school shooting is dating Brooke. Peyton and Brooke hate each other at various moments and are like, you've heard the episode about them being like frenemies and like all their shit. They have a lot of tension, but at this point in time, they are friends. Chad Michael Murray is dating Brooke. Brooke obviously loses Peyton in the shooting. And then comes out of the school and tells Lucas that Peyton is in the school somewhere. Nathan finds out Haley is in the school, tries to chase after her. And Chad Michael Murray is like, I'm going to stop you and tackles him. And then the brunette one is like, it's fucking Haley. Go fuck yourself. I'm going into the school. And then Chad Michael Murray is like, "Okay, I'll come. That's what brings us to the school. So my first note was like, in what circumstance would that adult coach who was standing there just oh my God. let these children run into a school full of... I mean, truly, like, what could he do? He is like an old ass man. And these are like, about to be recruited athletes. They're just sitting there like, oh, looks like there's trouble brewing in the school. Well, okay, guess we're leaving now. I mean, he gets all the other kids. To go. I get that. I truly don't know what else Whitey would have done. Like, I don't know how he could have stopped them. 
with his own gun. That's why you <laughs> That's why teachers should have guns. Yeah. Obviously. Drivers, janitors. Uh just to be clear, we're using that uh comedic device sarcasm. We do not believe that here at the MTO, but we do believe that um fat people are savages. No. JK. All right. So I mean the focus of the episode is basically once we get Nathan and Lucas in, Chad Michael Murray and the other one, Chad Michael Murray goes immediately to Hillary Burton, who is basically bleeding out of what we think is broken glass, but is clearly a bullet in her leg in the library and is trying to help her and get her to safety. We shortly thereafter find out that Jimmy Edwards is the killer who was very good friends with Chad Michael Murray and Mouth and all the what we call like river court people. They all used to hang out in the river court before Lucas became like a cool athlete guy. Yeah, Jimmy Edwards ends up in the Tudor Center with, like, many of the main characters and some people we've never met before, and shit unfolds. I mean, go off. Like, what? how did you guys feel? What are your notes? Tell me. I would, so I would say, again, if we're talking about, like, teens who are way smarter than teens actually are in real life, it is they're in a lockdown, right? So they know that there's a school shooting, and then someone knocks on the door of the tutoring center, and one of the students is like, we can't open it. We're in a lockdown. and then. They, someone throws an ID underneath the door and she sees it and she's like, oh, like, it's this person I know. Let's open it. At home, it's Nathan. And Nathan puts, like, if you've seen One Tree Hill, Nathan, so Chad Michael Murray's brother, shoves his ID under the door to his wife. They're both juniors in high school, but it is his wife. Okay. So, um, so Haley. Chad Michael Murray. And then another student is like, no fucking way. How do we know that the shooter didn't just kill Chad Michael Murray and is now sliding his ID under the door? And I was like, yes. Well, not Chad Michael Murray, the other one. And that, in my head, is I felt the exact opposite reaction where I was like, why the fuck would a school shooter steal somebody's ID to go to the tutor center when they don't even know who the fuck is in there? To keep killing people. To me, I was like, this is the smartest thing a, a teen has ever but done. But he doesn't know that Haley's in there. Like, only Nathan, but the school shooter wouldn't know that Haley's in the tutor center. Yeah, yeah, but you could just slide an ID of anyone. Like, well-liked, you could use their ID to get into any room you wanted, right? I guess that's true, but it just, to me, it seems so specific that it was literally like, this is Haley's husband. Okay, yes. okay fine. I, <laughs> I That kid makes some idiotic decisions later, and he's also kind of hot. I don't know if we can go there. James Lafferty is super hot. Okay, good. But like, I in that moment, at least, I was like, wow, these kids are performing well under a very stressful situation, and I appreciate that. Yeah. So they're in the lockdown. So basically, Nathan knows that Haley's in the Tudor Center. He has also simultaneously run into Mouth, who's like, I'm going to leave. And Nathan's like, okay, I'm going to get Haley. And he's like, cool, I'll fucking come with you because you're a giant basketball player with a baseball bat. And I was like, cool, there's still a gun here. Like, Mouth, what the fuck are you doing? Wait, wait. So again, you have kids like who are acting like idiots. And you have kids who are like playing four-dimensional chess, all <laughs> like in the same high school. I mean, yeah, that's like what school is, right? Kind of. Yeah. I'm also, <laughs> while we're talking about the tutoring center, Jimmy gets to smoke a cigarette inside of it. And I feel like that's probably a fantasy for you, Emily. Oh, it's definitely a fantasy for me. I like truly was like, wow. <laughs> I'm not going to say that at that moment I was jealous of Jimmy Edwards, <laughs> but that was a really fucking dope thing to be able to do. I will also say, okay, so speaking of Jimmy Edwards smoking, the beginning of the episode I just need to call out does start with a VO from Jimmy Edwards. And it's him, his time capsule video where he's talking about like how everybody's so shitty and how he hates everyone at the high school. And he says, quote, the jocks will peak at 17 and their cheerleader girlfriends will be fat. 
and it pans to the character Bevan, who, if you do not know, and this is yet to come out on the podcast, Bevan was a character on One Tree Hill whose name is actually Bevan and is now one of the most famous soul cycle instructors in New York City, <laughs> still goes by Bevan. <laughs> and I'm looking at this kid in 2006 be like, that bitch is going to be a fat cheerleader. Like, right. And I'm like, she's like the most successful soul cycle instructor. Like, she like might be one of the most successful people that came out of that show. <laughs> okay. All right. So we get to the tutoring center. I will say the other moment that I found truly appalling in the beginning of the tutoring center is that Jimmy Edwards, like we, the audience know that Jimmy Edwards is the, is the shooter. We see that he's in the tutoring center, but none of the other kids know that he's the shooter. Yeah. And at some point they're all talking about the shooter and somebody's like that, like blah, blah, blah. That's psycho. And Jimmy, who we know is the school shooter says, quote, why would you call them psycho? And this fucking moron in the tutor center responds saying, Something to do with them trying to kill us all, badass. And it's like, yo, there's a school shooter on the loose and somebody that you're locked in a room with just identified that they're at least sympathetic to the cause. Like, maybe don't <laughs> call them a fat ass. <laughs> like, yeah, right. And he just gets so hostile, right? Because... Wait, which one gets so hostile? Chad Michael Murray is like... Yeah. Chad Michael Murray is not in the Twitter Center. He's in the library. Those who Chad Michael Murray is, yes, so that might true. be the problem. I do not know who yeah. it is. He's the one with the flavor saver. Who's the one He's with the, the shaved head? His brother. That his brother Nathan. And the school shooter is Nathan. And Haley is his wife. So the way that Nathan actually gets in is by Haley saying always, and he says and forever, okay. because they're married in high school. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and that's well, how you evade school shooters by like saying your wedding vows to each other. One of them is like, yo, Jimmy, like, it's okay. No one's gotten hurt. No one's died. Like, you can come back from this. Like, just end it now. Everything will be fine. And then that same kid, the hot one, who earlier had such a great moment of being like, don't fucking let anyone in, is like, no, man, you're fucked. Like, Oh, that's a different... You're talking about... No, I think it's the same one who called him a fat ass. Okay, is it the fat ass hot one? We do not know. Like, he's truly an inconsequential character besides being an asshole in this episode. Uh, and he calls him a fat ass, and he also is like, don't fucking let Nathan in. But again, I think we, the audience, are supposed to think that he's being a moron, because we, the audience, know that Nathan is on the other side of that door. So, what do you mean, I think we're supposed to think he's being a moron? He is being a moron? Like, what? what? But Spencer's saying in that moment he's not being a moron, in the ID slipping under the door moment. Like, Spencer thinks that that's really clairvoyant and prescient. <laughs> Yes. My note on him was literally, where does this dick get so many balls? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this kid, like, truly doesn't matter. And his hotlines are, he says, like, probably because he's trying to kill his fat ass. And then he doesn't want to let Nathan in. And then Skills punches him and is like, don't get in the way, dog. Because all Skills says is dog. Like, every other word out of Skills' mouth is dog. And... They're all, all the boys in that room are main characters except for the one who's being aggro. Yes. So that character, though, felt really... I actually feel like a lot of the, the male characters in that room just felt... I mean, I don't want to say unrelatable because I hope the whole scenario feels unrelatable, but, like, the way that they responded to the scenario just felt really bizarre to me. Like, there's one person here with a gun and then there are the rest of you. And so why, when you have nary a gun in sight and nary even a baseball bat or a cell phone are you mouthing off to this kid telling him yeah, like, the mouthing off made no fucking sense it didn't 
make any sense to me and didn't seem to to check out, which is why I vote that the Degrassi school shooting episode is much more realistic. And in conclusion, I rest my case. I think the question is how- I'm not saying it's more realistic. I'm just saying it's better. Like which of the strategies that we saw in that episode would you use to try and defuse the situation? None. I I mean, I think I would do the Abby Brown rate, which is I would go into a diabetic coma. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we have to get there. So- Basically, Jimmy is in the Tudor Center, like where the majority of this drama is happening. And then we'll have a separate conversation about the Lucas Brook or the Lucas Payton's shit. Okay, so in the Tudor Center, Jimmy's there with the gun. There's the one kid mouthing off to him. There's Mouth, who used to be his best friend, who's like, why are you doing this? This is so fucked up. There's Nathan and Haley who are like, we're so in love. Like, come on, Jimmy. But Nathan's just trying to be a hero, right? He like pretends he doesn't have a cell phone, but he actually does have a cell phone. And is like texting his dad whom he hates, so I always thought that was a weird choice, but whatever. He, like, comes in with the baseball bat. He, like, is very much, like, trying to calm him down and be like, everything's going to be okay. And then we have Abby Brown, who we've never met before, and she basically, like, has diabetes, which she can't seem to communicate. Haley has to find out from a bracelet on her wrist, despite the fact that she's completely able to talk and function and ultimately run, but, like, Haley has to read that she has diabetes. She's trying to be strong for everyone, Emily. She's a hero. <laughs> and so Haley's like, Jimmy, you have to let her go. She has diabetes because her insulin's in her locker. And then Jimmy lets her go. And then Nathan sends a text while he's like watching her run down the hall. I think the message that One Tree Hill is trying to get across is that all of them are like, we know Jimmy and Jimmy's not a bad kid. Right. And they're well, like, all like, we don't believe Jimmy's going to do anything. I think that's the issue. Which I mean, I guess he, he doesn't. I, I mean... Well, I also think, like, Rick, they have reason to believe, will fucking do it. Right. But but Jimmy does pull the trigger. I mean, he, I don't think he realizes that he hurts anybody, but he still pulls the trigger. Like, it's not- He does pull the trigger. It's not like- He basically, at the beginning of the episode, he shoots it into the air and it ends up ricocheting and hitting Peyton in the leg. Yeah. What I would like to say, though, is one thing, I don't understand this time capsule thing, because that seems like some backstory I don't know, but he he really, one of my notes is- he did this because he didn't get into MIT, loser, exclamation point. <laughs> okay, so that's like definitely not the reason. So for background that you need to know about Jimmy Edwards is Jimmy Edwards used to be best friends with Chad Michael Murray and Mouth and they and Skills. They were all, and Haley. They were all like super tight and whatever. And then basically like all of his other friends started to get really popular and completely ignored him. And then they all made individually videos uh, for the time capsule of, like, what high school's like in 2006. And Rachel, who's, like, the hot redhead in the Tudor Center, who's, like, clearly a messy bitch, who ends up marrying Dan Scott, the mayor, who shoots his brother in that episode. She ends up marrying him. In real life or on the show? On the show. (laughs) Also, were you worried? I I forgot about the style in those days, and every time they, like, flashed her, I was like, I think I can see your pubic hair because your jeans are so low. <laughs> um, I don't think she like has pubic she hair. She sure didn't have pubic hair, but if she did. <laughs> so basically, they all put in the time capsule. Jimmy's time capsule is basically a diatribe about how much he fucking hates all of his friends, ex-friends, and everyone else at the school. And so he's basically like, and he says all the shit he says in the beginning, like the jocks and the cheerleaders are going to be fat and is like, and mouth abandoned me and Lucas is a piece of shit and like everybody's fake and like fuck this place and like whatever. Rachel unleashes the time capsule videos and plays them for the entire school. And so everybody at the school sees all these things that Jimmy said. And then he is no longer like 
this anonymous loser who is kind of abandoned, he is now like very actively bullied after that. Because he like basically talked very aggressive shit about very specific people on the time capsule. So that's the backstory. And he originally brings the gun because he got punched in the face by that guy in the beginning of the episode. As they say on The Real Housewives, which definitely should be a bingo card, which is when (laughs) we talk about Real Housewives on this show. uh, Own it. Like, Jimmy, (laughs) own it. You said it. So, like, Jimmy just needed a good talking to from Lisa Rinna. That's, like, what needed to happen. (laughs) We've also said we sympathize so much more with Jimmy, but we don't see Jimmy bullied at all. And the bullying we see from Rick is intense, right? I didn't know that context, which is obviously, you know, disqualifies him from being relatable or likable. But But I think Jimmy, even though you don't see him getting bullied, you see like his heart, like you see him freaking out and unraveling in a way that you don't see with Rick. It's like getting in over his head is what it seems like happens. Like he just... His acting is the best on the episode by far. Yeah, he does a very good job. What the fuck is his name? I don't remember, but he's really good. Okay, so basically there's a whole tutor center. This girl like starts to go into a diabetic coma and he lets her go. And then Nathan tries to get a phone and then he really freaks out. Simultaneously, that's kind of the end of the tutor center drama. Simultaneously, we have what's going on at the library, which is that Lucas, a.k.a. Chad Michael Murray, has found Peyton. And Peyton is bleeding out in the library. And we all know that she's in love with him, but he's currently dating her best friend. And she says that she loves him and they kiss. Did you guys have any emotional reaction to this? Or were you like, cool? Because you truly didn't know any of that context. My understanding was that they were probably like best friends who had a very deep and intense emotional connection and like really understood each other, but didn't understand how to translate that into the physical realm. Yeah, no, they've already fucked. Oh. That is an incredibly sophisticated read because I was like, this shit is boring. I want to (laughs) talk to the tutor center and smoke cigarettes with my friends. I mean, yeah, it like super mattered because it's like the whole like what's going to happen in this love triangle like super mattered to us at that point in time, which again is I think something that One Tree Hill does a really good job of where it's like this was an important episode because like actually a lot of really fucking important shit happens. Like Lucas hooks up with Peyton, like cheats on Brooke in a way. And and where does Pete Wentz fit into all of this? Pete Wentz doesn't cut. He starts dating Peyton like three seasons in the future. And Why? Because she is in high school and runs, like, the coolest underage nightclub where they're like, uh, people underage love music, so we should have a nightclub for kids and it'll make money because we'll have such good bands because music, like, kids are tastemakers, even though we won't have alcohol sales, and ends up getting, like, all the coolest bands there and then starts dating Pete Wentz and then owns a record label, which she then bequeaths to Haley because she moves away with Chad Michael Murray because he's such a successful writer. And they have a he baby. She ends up with Chad Michael Murray. She ends up with Chad Michael Murray. Who's yeah. the best friend? They're not best friends. Chad Michael Murray's best friend is Haley, Nathan's wife. Oh, this is my gaping hole. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I would say you have a, a pinpoint of knowledge. Yeah. This is not like... I'm gaping everywhere. <laughs> For your best guess. <laughs> All right. And then the last, the third sort of like scene that's happening is that we have Brooke who is, has been bussed off being like, my best friend's in there and my boyfriend just ran after her. And she finds out, like, the big moment for her, of course, is with the repo- reporter. So, I mean, Spencer, you're a journalist. <laughs> I will say I was taken aback by how this reporter was portrayed in the beginning, in which this reporter is basically like, 
hey, like, can I interview you? And she's like, you fucking bitch. And it's like, okay, like, it's actually kind of important that news gets out about stuff like this. Like, news is important. Like, news does serve a purpose. Like, I get that, like, you might think it's insensitive at this particular moment and you can do whatever you want to do, but I'm not going to get on board that this reporter is, like, a total fucking cunt for just, like, doing her job. But then the next scene, the reporter, like, basically comes for Brooke and is like, you caused the school shooting high school child who's crying. Like, it's just like, what the fuck just happened? Maybe I'm not the only one who should feel ashamed is what she says to Brooke. That's psychotic. That's like a psychotic thing to say to a high school student. What I think is funny is that I have a friend who was writing an article for the Times about untested rape kits, and then they found out that she used to go to the hospital and sit with women who were victims of rape while they were having the rape kiss done. And they were like, this is a conflict of interest. And they killed the story. Right. So it's like, she can't write about rape kits because she has expressed sympathy with rape victims. So they're like, you can't, you are disqualified from writing this. You're too biased. And then this journalist is going to a high schooler who's the victim of this trauma and being like, you're such a- And is also the student council president. So she should be prepared to handle these situations. She should be prepared on how to brief the press. (laughs) (laughs) Or how to deal with high school royalty. Uh, And this is such a true, because in Scream, our favorite point of reference, right? It is always the journalist- Wait, movies or TV show? The TV show, duh. Okay. It's like the journalist is always the one with like the lowest morals who's like willing to do anything to get the scoop. And like, yeah, I'm sure that's true, but it's just like what would be deemed acceptable in the field is like probably not accosting high schoolers <laughs> at, at maybe the lowest point of their life. Yeah, but I do think like I'm like the news like has a reason to be here. Like I'm just like they're all like we're part of the media circus now. And I'm like, I get it. Like that's fucking hard, but I'm I, also I like I disagree. I feel like especially at this point where so little is actually known about what's going on, having students because this is what happened with Columbine. Sorry to bring us back to that dark place, but like they interviewed students and then they set the narrative that was not right forever, right? Because it's like what gets projected and broadcast first is what we all remember. And it's yeah, never reliable. And it's just like asking some random bitch, hey, what's your trauma? Is like not a good way to report. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree. I would say like there is a reason for news to exist. And I don't think it's necessarily <laughs> grubby and shitty. But I think like obviously it's very well handled. I can't imagine it being that aggressive in real life. But like, I mean, I mean literally, why does this random local news anchor feel the need to bully the student council president? I think the guidelines now are that you never say the name of the shooters, right? Because you don't want to give them any publicity. And so you would never ask students like, oh, what do you think of the shooter whose name we're not going to say, right? Well, the news anchor also is like, we're going to show his time capsule video. It's like, this is great. We'll air this tonight. I'm sure at that time they did. And I think that we've like realized a lot about how you report on like shootings and suicides. You just don't do yeah. that anymore. I have a question about Brooks. Brooke's general treatment on this episode, which is like, you know, first this the plight of the hot popular girl. Well, yeah, first this reporter's like, you're horrible. And then this woman is like, do you know where hey Glenda like, Brenda? Glenda Brenda? Where's Glenda? <laughs> and she was like, Who the fuck is Glenda? And so then she goes and finds her, and it's this whole thing. And so I don't know the backstory, but like, is she a is Brooke a historically mean person or is she just like in her own world because there's she's very kind and very popular and but she is known as being very kind and very loyal and she's kind of set up in the first episode as like 
not mean, like, she's not, like, a bully, but she's kind of, like, set up to be, like, a vapid, like, popularity and sex-obsessed girl. But that sheds very quickly because Sophia Bush is so likable. And she, like, she is, like, very big-hearted and kind. And, like, that's how she becomes student council president. It's, like, she's actually pretty well-liked by people. Um, she's not just, like, a bitchy high school. The bitchy girl is Rachel, who's the redhead in the tuner center. So that's why it's confusing to me that, like, this yeah. reporter is shaming her at one plot. That was and weird, because like, they were just, like, trying to make Brooke feel guilty for, like, not doing more to prevent it, basically. And, like, they're not saying, like, you bullied Jimmy. They're just saying, like, you're not friends with Jimmy. Like, you're like, not. I just think that's, like, a, a ridiculous premise. Like, everyone doesn't need to be friends with everyone. And so, as long, I mean, as long no, as... No, the reporter is not, like, this isn't a good point <laughs> <laughs> that the reporter's making. Also, though, I take issue with what Galinda did. Because... Okay, so, okay, I want to talk about this extensively. Okay, so for those of you that haven't seen the episode, basically we have Glinda, who is... We see the mother of Glinda go up to Brooke and be like, hey, do you know where Glinda is? And Brooke is like, I truly have no idea who the fuck this is. And the mother is like, you know, Glinda. And she's like, oh, Glinda, I thought you said Brenda. Brooke, again, being quite smart for a high schooler. The mother is like, oh, my God, you're Glinda's good friend, right? And then she's like, oh, God, like another yeah. loser likes me is kind of what it made it seem like. But- yeah, exactly. Which is like, And Brooke's like ready to handle it. And she goes out and is like, I have no idea who this fuck bitch, who the fuck this bitch is, starts crying, and then goes inside, finds Glinda, and is like, are you Glinda? Like, your mom's looking for you. All we know about this girl is that she lies to her mom about the fact that she's friends with (laughs) student council president Brooke Davis. And Glinda's like, yeah, I'm hiding from her during a school shooting because I want her to, like, I want her to be afraid of losing me. I wrote this down verbatim. Sometimes she takes me for granted. I wanted her to be afraid of losing me. That is fucking psychotic. (laughs) I truly, I can't think of a worse thing for a child to do to their parent than that. It's not just that. And this is kind of my deal with high school shows in general is that even if a kid thought that, they would never say that out loud. Like that eloquently, yeah. That eloquently or just especially to someone who they recognize as popular and out of their league and like aspirational friend. And just to say that out of nowhere, because like, what a fucking dark yeah, that's complicated thing to say. <laughs> it's can't even articulate that to themselves, let alone to fucking strangers who are the student council president of all people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was like a truly, and then Brooke's like, come on, I get it. Like, that's cool. Cause like, we do know that Brooke's parents like abandoned her and treat her like shit. And, <laughs> but it's also like, that's fucking psychotic. Like be like, okay, I really don't have time for your bullshit. Like this isn't the moment where we all of a sudden find out Brooke is kind. Like we already knew that Brooke is kind before this. She's just like further showing it. If we're talking about B or C plots, right. What a weird addition to the Linda. episode. Yeah. Well, I will say the other thing that really bothered me. So Brooke is like at this weird gymnasium where they have all the kids and they have to be like, they have to be released to parents. And Brooke's like, my parents don't live here. Like, I just want to fucking go home. And they're like, you can't. And so she ends up calling her boyfriend's mother, who her boyfriend she knows is in the school with the shooter and is like, can you come get me? And then the mom who is with her boyfriend, who is not the kid's father, is like, I got to go get Brooke. And it's like, why don't you stay and send the boyfriend to go get Brooke? Like that (laughs) made no fucking sense to me. (laughs) Like, I was like, why is Brooke calling Karen? And why the fuck is Karen not sending Keith? Because Keith has to get shot. I know, but it just bothered me. (laughs) Sorry. 
All right. And then, so those are sort of like the three places. And then it all comes to a head. Lucas is carrying Peyton out. And Jimmy hears the door and knows that Nathan has texted someone and goes out and is like, I want to shoot the first fucking person I see. Sees Lucas and Peyton and is like, I'm going to fucking shoot you. And then Keith Scott, mechanic slash hostage negotiator, just climbs out of like the shadows. Like it's that I will say is the craziest part of the episode to me is where the fuck does he like he seems to come out from in the middle of lockers. Because he's also like to his brother, he's like, if you can get me into the school, like his fucking brother has some hidden passageway. His brother is the mayor. Yeah, yeah. But does he what does that mean? Right. Does he know like some secret entrance into this? I guess in a small town, being the mayor means that you're the hostage negotiator. (laughs) I think (laughs) I my guess is I also thought that was a little weird, but I feel like the mayor probably could. The only reason I disagree what didn't make sense is that the mayor goes to the cops and is like, send people in. And they're like, we're not going to. And he's like, you have to. And the cops are like, no, there's a protocol. And so like, it's already been established that the mayor like can't Go over the cops' heads. If the fucking team knows the lockdown protocol enough not to let anyone in, no matter without a driver's license, no matter how many IDs are slipped under the door, I would hope that the police aren't like, "Oh, this is your brother." Sure. Oh, he's a mechanic. Send him in. He is who we've been waiting for this whole time. So, so why does the mechanic slash hostage negotiator believe that he is? qualified to do this like is there something so the mechanic knows jimmy edwards because the mechanic was sort of a father figure to chad michael murray aka lucas and all of his friends when they were growing up and lucas was friends with jimmy edwards when they were growing up and so and he was bullied because he says like i've also and felt, keith like, was bullied I've... and keith was bullied because he had a really hot cool popular brother so i the mayor. talk about this actually so my notes on keith were why is this old dude convinced he can talk down the shooter? Is he a hostage negotiator? Did Dan Savage get the It Gets Better campaign from this hostage negotiator? Because I don't know. For the- I think that's been said. I looked into this and I think that's been said like multiple times, like oh, before wow. this, after this. Yeah. So it's real. He Dan Savage is just copywriting from One Tree Hill. <laughs> I think it was, I think somebody said it before One Tree Hill. I think it's like the quote is like actually if we get into it like dash anon you know what I mean like it's one of those it's it's not a quote that we can't imagine someone thinking of before like somebody like Shakespeare probably said it you know what I mean like it's just I feel like if I really had to get into it it was Voltaire you know what I mean like it's just it could be a lot of things it's not a crazy assemblance of words like it's not you know we should cancel Dan Savage because he's a plagiarist of everyone. <laughs> I'm not going to start the cancel Dan Savage tour, but I think that would be a really good way for you to, like, you know, get out of real estate and move into One Tree Hill world, <laughs> out of Degrassi <laughs> into One Tree Hill. Yeah. All right. So Jimmy Edwards obviously lets Peyton and Lucas go because Peyton is bleeding out. And then Keith Scott comes in and is like, I bought the gun. I was bullied. Like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And Jimmy Edwards shoots himself. Does not shoot Keith. To this point, has not consciously shot anyone. Finds out that he shot Peyton by accident and is, like, heartbroken about it. And is like, I can't get out of this. And then shoots himself. And then, da-da-da, Dan Scott, mayor of Tree Hill and brother of Keith Scott, walks in, despite the fact that the school is surrounded by cops, walks in alone. I think you're right. There must be a secret entrance well, we've established that Dan, like, knows about. We've established that the vice president in Canada 
their power is supreme and such in a small town, the mayor- Student council vice president. Student council vice president. And then in the US, a small town mayor, unchecked power, it seems. Unchecked power and also it seems seems to be like magical power. Like he seems to be able to teleport because again, the school is truly surrounded by cops and he feels total confidence in literally picking a gun off the floor and shooting his brother point blank in the chest. And then, of course, the episode ends with a patented Chad Michael Murray VO of, like, who's evil, blah, 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 quoting Voltaire, I'm sure, whatever. The part we haven't talked about is uh, the shooter, Jimmy's friend, to to me, is the most interesting character, right? Because he is... Very similar to Toby and Degrassi. Right, and because people are like, oh, you were friends with Jimmy, and he's like, no, Jimmy's a psycho, right? We see him really intensely grappling with the such complicated emotions of, like, no, Mouth always defends Jimmy. Mouth doesn't say he was a psycho. Not in that episode yeah, at all. In the next episode, which I did watch, he, <laughs> he a little bit more comes to his defense, like trying to get people to go to the funeral. And at the Shiva, do they call it that? What is it called? <laughs> <laughs> no, in Tree Hill, North Carolina, it's not called the Shiva. We're not it's talking about the wake. growing up <laughs> in New York at the City. Wake, at the wake. I thought. Yeah, thank you. I've never been to one of those. At the service for Keith. Yeah, at the week, when they're in Chad Michael Murray's home, Mouth is talking about Jimmy and he goes, do not, like, you know, he kind of goes off on him for bringing him up in the home of this man that he murdered. Even though, again, we all, the audience, know that Jimmy did not murder him. Yeah. Okay, wait, Spencer, you were saying something before that. Before oh, yeah. Brielle interrupted to I, talk about Shima <laughs> and Degrassi. Mouth was the most interesting character, obviously, because he has the most conflict, right? Because... But you, he was also, Jimmy was also really good friends with Skills and Lucas. And Haley, for that matter. Mouth was his best friend, but he was friends with all of them. I think Mouth takes on the most guilt because Mouth also should be a loser. <laughs> Mouth isn't a hot girl or a basketball player, so it doesn't make sense. He neither is now a cool basketball player or married to a cool basketball <laughs> player. And Skills, like... I don't skills does get on the basketball team at some point I don't know if he's on the team at that point but mouth is like a weird looking like nerdy kid that like shouldn't have rose to popularity the way that he did and then in the follow-up episode that hot girl who shows off her pubic hair makes out with him because of their shared trauma but then she marries Dan Scott (laughs) so mouth has loser solidarity and it's interesting because Going back to that media theory, like, after this, we're like, well, someone has to be able to explain why this happened, and it has to be, there's just one person, right? Mouth. But incidentally, <laughs> Lucas is the one that figures out that Jimmy didn't kill Keith. Yeah, I would say that's not... How? Okay, so Lucas figures it out a couple of different ways, which is that he starts having dreams when he gets hit by a car, maybe? Or, like, drowned? I don't know. Something... He has a lot of injuries, but he starts having oh. visions of Keith being like, pay closer attention, like who else was there? And Lucas goes back and remembers that when he was leaving with Peyton, he saw Abby, the girl with diabetes, hiding behind a window when all this went down. And so she saw it all happen. And so he goes to talk to Abby and Abby's mom is like, no, like she's not talking to you. Like we're getting out of town, like we're leaving town, whatever. But Abby has been secretly leaving messages in like red paint in Dan's house like I know what you did and shit like in between her diabetic comas she's been like cyberbullying the mayor <laughs> and that's just you at its best it's like <laughs> how do we explain this so like we're just gonna have some insane side plot with 
painting and the home and like psychological <laughs> warfare, which as you've told me before, I was like, if you were gonna be a, a psycho killer in any of these movies, how would you do it? And you're like, I would bully the shit out of them. I would like psychologically torture them from start to finish. Did I say that? <laughs> yes. I feel like I said I would psychologically torture them in lieu of killing them. No, I think you were like, that would be my style and then I would kill them. So I would, that would be my like, style. hanging like blood dripping on them from the top of the Well, like the best is when Pretty Little Liars, my favorite is that they have the murderer bully one of the girls into relapsing in her bulimia. Ugh. They're like, eat these four cupcakes for money because you're in debt. <laughs> Should we Sounds about right. should we talk about the culture of fat phobia at this high school? Yeah, I do want to say one thing and then we can get into fat phobia and then we have to end this. But the moment when Lucas and Nathan, who are brothers, are about to split off, Nathan to go to the tutor center and Lucas to go to the library to get Peyton. And Lucas is like, Nathan. And then Nathan just goes, you too. <laughs> the homoeroticism of that moment for me was... I had to pause. (laughs) I was like, that is, is the slash that I want. That is the slash I'm here for. Like, I was just like, thank you for not saying whatever you were going to say, because I would hate if it was like, I love you. I love you too. Or like, be careful. You too. Like, I'm so glad we don't know because I get to think that it's like, I've always wanted to be inside you. (laughs) And they're like, you too. Can you read me daddy? (laughs) That doesn't make a lot of sense, but you know what I'm working with. Yeah, totally. All right. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if you want to dig into fat phobia. I didn't catch that. And that's on me. That's on me for sure. I mean, I've seen this episode easily 20 times. So, I mean, fat phobia was obviously like quite bad across all of these shows and especially in the early 2000s. I did want to bring up for Degrassi's credit that I do always think that it's very well handled that they do have a plus size woman being a victim of domestic violence at a very early age, because that's very unlikely like that a show would portray that. And it happens quite often. And fat women are actually much less likely to report it and often are more likely to be victimized in many ways because they're used to being like constantly degraded by society. So hats off to Degrassi for that. I think that was like a very good thing that they did for like, thank you awareness around issues facing fat women. What else, Spencer? <laughs> well, so I was gonna. Brielle just like needed me to say my positive piece about like, well done, Degrassi, for like having a plus size woman in a domestic abuse situation. We appreciate your praise, us here on Team Degrassi. <laughs> that also was a trope. I mean, a trope in any high school shit is like, we need someone to be bullied. Like, why? Well, they wear glasses or they're fat, right? But what I thought was interesting is that in a high school, there's a sign and it says food fight. And then there are foods listed under good and foods listed under bad. And I think we forget just like (laughs) in the early aughts, just like what the messaging around food was. And there was no subtlety to it, right? It's like, these foods are bad and you are bad if you eat them. And like, these foods are good and don't fuck up and like, you know, exercise is good. And if you're not exercising, you're not thin. Obviously, you're fat and you're bad. And <laughs> yeah, those messages were not su- more subtle than that, right? Like they were explicitly that. And yeah. so it's not surprising when he's like, why is he not a psychopath, you fat ass? Yeah, immediately. I mean, it's definitely pay- playing into the tropes, which I think we're going to see, like, and probably do see in high schools to this day. Like, I don't think fat activism has like trickled down to high schools quite yet, as far as like, having an educated discussion about the way that weight discrimination and sizeism like impacts 
people of size and also like contributes to obesity and like causes all of these huge problems. But like, I I do think it is intentionally or not playing with the trope that like fatness is equivalent to like a moral failing in some way. And like, because you are fat, you are shitty, like truly, like you are less than you are less deserving. You are less worthy, et cetera. And that's why, I mean, I truly doubt that the writers in the One Tree Hill writer's room in 2006 were like, I know, we'll have the bully call him a fat ass because that'll really call out that he's, you know, <laughs> equating morality with weight. But like, well, it's, whatever, it's, like... Because also he smokes too. And I feel like especially at that time, those were the two things that immediately yeah. established that someone is immoral or bad or lazy or wrong, right? Yeah, but he also, I mean, he smokes and he like gives up, you know? As people who have watched a total of like two <laughs> episodes combined... Of One Tree Hill, we don't. Really These are not the only two episodes of One Tree Hill I would recommend watching. These are the ones that we had, so. These are the ones that we had. Well, to be fair, I gave you one, and you continued. That's I on just, you. I just I like to be prepared. I guess you know, like first time podcaster, long time listener, but <laughs> I'm prepared. All right, so we've got to wrap this up. Do you guys have any final thoughts or anything that you'd like to plug that you're doing? What's a good piece of media you've seen recently or like a good Instagram you follow or just something that you're digging that you think people should check out at home? Let's start with Brielle. Um, no. What happened to longtime listeners? You didn't come prepared with a plug. <laughs> Spencer, what are your social handles? At Spencer Mestel, Spencer with two S's, M-E-S-T-E-L, just like my name in the show notes. I didn't come with a plug, but I think it's obvious if you have not seen Scream, the TV show. Yes. Number one, watch Buffy and then yes. watch Scream, the TV show. I have not seen Buffy, but I know that Emily will not accept any priorities where Buffy is not number one. Am I wrong? That is completely accurate. Thank you. Brielle, any TV shows that you've recently really liked? I mean, my number one, like, all-time recommendation is anybody should watch The Leftovers, but that has nothing to do with teenage drama, except for... It doesn't have to. There's some kind of crazy, like, teenagers in that show, right? Because, like, the premise of the show is that... 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) A certain percentage of the population just, like, spontaneously disappears. And so all, like, the people who are then teens are kind of, like, well, what the fuck is the meaning of life? Why should we have to go to, like, high school? This was covered in Spider-Man Homecoming to be honest. I don't know what that is, but I just... Also, Jason Thoreau is the main character of this show. And so... That's the reason to watch it. That's the reason to watch (laughs) All right, guys. And of course, I do want to mention, you know, this is a comedy podcast, but of course, gun violence is something horrible that is plaguing many countries, specifically America. And if you want to do something about it or get involved... We sincerely suggest that you donate to the Brady Campaign, Every Town for Gun Safety, New Yorkers Against Gun Violence. Uh, There are many other organizations. We'll have more resources in our description for the podcast episode. Uh, And of course, you can always follow us like us, but start with checking out those orgs because they're doing a lot of great work. And we will see you next time. (laughs) 